You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director for being the Ricardos, Aaron Sorkin. I am the biggest asset in the portfolio of the Columbia Broadcasting System. Quiet, please. The biggest asset in the portfolio of Philip Mars Tobacco Westinghouse. Let's do our show. I get paid a fortune to do exactly what I love doing. Um, they got their money's work. Pictures up. I work side by side with my husband, who is genuinely impressed by me. And all I have to do to keep it is kill for 36 weeks in a row. Okay, let's go. And then do it again the next year. You know, I did this show so Desi and I could be together. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show! And action! I had no idea it was gonna be a hit. My name is Matt Neglia with Next Best Picture. I'm being joined right now by writer, director, Academy Award winner Aaron Sorkin. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Yes, you as well. It feels like only yesterday we were talking about the trial of the Chicago 7, and here we are again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that happened quick. <laughs> right? Have you had time to sleep at all? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm a little bit tired, but I don't mind. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's well, a glamorous problem. I, I I would imagine you're as energized as your characters and your screenplays come across in your movies. So uh, at least I would uh, hope. Oh, I am not nearly as uh, smart or articulate as the characters that. I <laughs> Well, I'm very excited to be talking to you about Being the Ricardos, your third directed feature film. Uh, last time you and I spoke, you had mentioned how, you know, you're still developing as a director. You're learning new things with each subsequent film. Uh, this is uh, your third new cinematographer and working with Jeff Cronin with. And I would like to know what new uh, tips, tricks, uh, you know, tools of the trade you picked up from working with him on Being the Ricardos. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Jeff also shot the social network. So, oh yeah, of course. Uh, new Jeff already, but I, I think he did a phenomenal job on being the Ricardos. I think that if I have a strength as a director, it's knowing what my weaknesses as a director are. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, God knows I, I need to uh, collaborate uh, with a great DP uh, who is going to have patience with a guy who in 25 years has managed to absorb none of the science of filmmaking. <laughs> but none. I, I couldn't pick a long lens out of a police lineup. Um, I just know I like what it looks like when you use one. Yeah. So uh, uh, so I really leaned on Jeff and his operators a lot. Uh, and uh, the reward was uh, that it was beautifully shot, beautifully lit. Um, uh, he, uh, we, we called them Cronin windows. Uh, uh, <laughs> Cronin with likes to really blow out windows, which I like too. He, mm -hmm. uh, uh, John Hutman, who, who was our set designer, who had been the production designer on the West Wing, but I wanted him for this because he was the production designer on Quiz Show. And mm -hmm. I wanted the look of Quiz Show moved to Hollywood. Uh, and John did that beautifully, but he also gave us uh, designed sets that would have big windows mm -hmm. in them, where Cronin with could have the sun go supernova uh, right outside the window. I was never sure what the source of the light was, but uh, you'd, you'd get this beautiful beam coming in that would catch dust particles where the actors would be in silhouette for a moment until they turned and then they'd just be washed with light. Uh, he created a kind of caramel uh, patina 
uh, over the whole film th uh, that I loved. Uh, and he did what I asked him to do uh, at our very first meeting. I think it was the first thing that came out of my mouth after How Have You Been? Um, it was uh, have a better idea than mine. Um, yeah. Don't do what I tell you to do. Have a better idea. Sure. Which uh, uh, turns out isn't that hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this film, you're also playing around with jumping back and forth between these staged interviews for your mm -hmm. narrative structure. And you've said before that you've taken these important life events in Lucille Ball's life, condensed it into a single week, even though they were more spread out. They happened over the course of about two years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious to know, like, in terms of both writing and then also re-collaborating with Alan, your editor, on your previous two uh, feature films as well, can you talk a bit about, from a scripting process, how you settled on that narrative structure and then also how that evolved in the editing room? Sure. Uh, first, I'll tell you this, that I, uh, I have directed the last three screenplays that I've written, but I still haven't directed, I still haven't written a screenplay knowing that I was going to be the director of it. It <laughs> come as a surprise uh, each yeah. time uh, at the end. Uh, so writing it, I knew that I had to let the audience, that the audience had to understand from the beginning what a big deal I Love Lucy was, mm -hmm. how many people were watching it, how it just affected uh, the, the culture, um, uh, so that when Walter Winchell said, um, uh, you know, accused Lucy of being a communist, what a huge deal that was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I couldn't just use them as an exposition machine. Uh, I couldn't just have them there at the beginning and then kind of set the scene each time. They were going to have to become involved with the story. So by the time we get to the end, um, when they're trying to, uh, they're answering what they tell us was the question that they originally asked. Mm -hmm. uh, that the unseen interviewer originally asked, um, uh, they're all recalling that moment when Lucy went up on her line and they don't know why, but we now do. Yeah, yeah. I, lo I love that behind the scenes, inside baseball kind of look at these uh, these real life people. And yeah, the, your last uh, many screenplays dating back over uh, the last couple of years have all been based primarily on real people. Yeah. Curious to know, is there a desire to want to go uh, and write a story about wholly original characters or is there something about drawing upon the lives of people that we're familiar with that excites you? Charlie Wilson's War was the first nonfiction uh, that mm -hmm. I wrote. And when I was done, I swore I was never going to write uh, another piece of nonfiction <laughs> again. Um, that... Uh, I wanted to make up what happened next. I didn't want to be bound by what actually uh, happened next. Sure. Um, and after making that promise to myself, uh, I then wrote five more nonfiction uh, movies. <laughs> uh, so that it's that I'm I am drawn to a good story. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's all. That and uh, I think that the only thing better than a story uh, you don't know is a story you think you know. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that when it comes to something like being the Ricardos, uh, we're so familiar with Lucy and Ricky Ricardo that we think we know Desi and Lucy Arnaz. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we don't. Yeah. There's such attachment to these two, uh, oh, like decades of just love and care from audience members. You have members. no idea. Um, uh, and I had no idea until I started doing this movie. There mm -hmm. are people for whom not just that show, but those characters and the marriage of Lucy and Ricky 
and the best friendship between Lucy and Ethel. It's almost religion uh, yeah. for them when, when they start talking about it. Um, and their fear that I have screwed at them up uh, uh, somehow. Uh, so, you know, people have a real attachment uh, to these characters. And I, I do think that those people will enjoy the movie. Yeah. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Your story is set, uh, like I said before, in the confines of a single week of a production mm-hmm. of an episode of I Love Lucy, episode, what was it, 204, I think it was? Uh, uh, yes, it was 204, uh, yeah. season two, episode four. And so I was curious to know what specifically about that episode was what made you land on it, what you could have chosen from any other episode. Sure. Uh, I read a ton of I Love Lucy scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I chose the episode Fred and Ethel Fight uh, is because it presented the most opportunities for Lucy to push back on a logic question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that, listen, like I said, we see shards of I Love Lucy uh, uh, throughout, very quick pieces uh, of I Love Lucy, all of which are taking place in Lucy's head. Mm-hmm. Um, the point of showing those uh, is that we're showing that whether she is at the table read, hearing a pitch in the writer's room, uh, mm-hmm. in rehearsal, she is a comedic chess master who can see 12 moves ahead. And here's how this joke is going to play on tape night. Uh, here's what it's going to look like on your television set. Uh, here's why the logic is wrong. And if the logic is off, the comedy isn't going to work. Um, uh, you know, Here's why the dinner table scene uh, isn't working. That script presented the most opportunities for Lucy to push back. Yeah. And during these uh, flashbacks of Lucy and Desi, I, I, I think I'm detecting some de-aging visual effects technology being applied 
in some of these scenes here because they both definitely look noticeably younger. Uh, is that your first time dealing heavily, uh, would you say, with visual effects? And if so, what was that like? It is the first time I've done any kind of de-aging. There were um, uh, a few visual effects in Molly's Game, a few visual effects in uh, Chicago 7, mostly crowd duplication. That's what I figured, um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I imagine this has to be a lot more complex. I I don't even know how it's done. Um, uh, we, we have a VFX house um, and we communicate, you know, what we like and stuff. But I couldn't. It takes me five minutes to find the power button on my computer. Yeah. I don't know how CGI works. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we knew that we needed to age them down a little bit uh, uh, for the flashbacks. And my thing was nothing too big, nothing jarring. Mm -hmm. Even if it's good, I don't want the scene to be about, woo, look what a good job they did with the VFX um, uh, on Javier and Nicole. Mm -hmm. So so that's where I was. I, I, I would much prefer to, uh, I would much rather err on the side of uh, we didn't do enough than we did too much. Sure. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, Javier and Nicole, I know that you've uh, already had some criticism thrown at you for the casting of them. You've spoken about this and you have addressed these uh, concerns that people have uh, labeled that, uh, you, you know, your decision to have Javier and Nicole play these roles. I'm just curious, in this time since that uh, interview uh, came out and uh, now with a film releasing, do you still stand by those comments? Do you have anything else necessarily to add to it? Well, uh, let me be very clear then uh, yeah. about... I think we're talking about the same thing, um, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, in the case of Javier, uh, uh, casting an actor who was born in Spain uh, yeah. as a uh, as a Cuban-American. In the case of Nicole, um, I, I think that the issue was she is not known as a comedian. Um, so let me start with the easier one, Nicole. Okay. That, that's the issue, right? Not that she's Australian and playing in America. No, no. I, okay. I think with her, it's more like just people have such an attachment to Lucille Ball and such an idea of who should play her sort of thing. I think really the main criticism was coming more so towards uh, Javier, Javier's Okay, then so let me take the easy one first, uh, sure. Nicole. Um, I had uh, an advantage over the people uh, who were complaining about her casting, which is that I'd read the screenplay and knew what the movie was about. They didn't. Um, I, it, I think they thought we were just kind of making a feature-length episode of I Love Lucy. I wasn't casting the role of Lucy Ricardo. I was casting the role of Lucille Ball. And in this iteration, in this story, with this screenplay, what you need is a world-class dramatic actress with a dry sense of humor who can handle language. Um, yep. uh, and that's Nicole. And to add to that, it's uh, uh, it's not an inexpensive studio film, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, there has to be a, an acceptable name. Sure. Case of Javier, I understand this subject is a little touchier. Um, I hate to see, of all people, the artistic community starting to take steps towards segregation. Uh, it it blows my mind. Spanish and Cuban aren't actable, okay? Those aren't actable things. If I'm directing you in a scene, um, I can say, hey, don't forget, it's freezing cold outside. 
Uh, you've been sitting outside in sub-zero temperatures for three hours. Your teeth are chattering, you can barely feel your face, but you've got to get the information to your friend that there's a secret treasure map over there. Use the cold, fight against the cold uh, mm -hmm. uh, in this scene. I can't say to you, be Cuban, okay? Mm -hmm. I can't say be Spanish. The, you can't act nouns. Uh, you, you can do an accent, um, uh, but, uh, and to suggest, by the way, uh, that uh, all Cubans uh, are in any way the same um, uh, and all Spaniards are in any way the same is silliness and lunacy. Uh, the idea that a gay uh, that a gay character has to be played by a gay actor is lunacy. Gay and straight aren't actable. You can only act being attracted to someone. You can't act gay or straight. Uh, you can do a campy, cartoonish version of macho and effeminate. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, gay or straight. I want Javier Bardem to be able to play the Prince of Denmark. I want Denzel Washington to be able to play Willie Loman. I want everybody to be able to play everything. What I did was I cast the best actors for the role, and that's all anybody should do. Their performances are phenomenal in this, uh, for the record. I think they both do a really, really, really great job conveying those characters to an audience. And Aaron, I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you no, so, so much. Fun. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Have a good day. You too, sir. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Aaron Sorkin, the writer and director for Being the Ricardos here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Being the Ricardos is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video and playing in limited release in theaters. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.